This is Anna Pia Santini, and you are listening to Dive In and the Social Good Collective, produced by Brown EP. Every day starts by getting dressed. However, individuals with disabilities lack empowering undergarments that fit their unique needs. 2020 Brown alum Emma Butler is striving to fix this problem. Emma, thank you so much for for speaking with us today. We're so excited to have you. Fashion with social good by designing apparel that represents and empowers women with disabilities. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. We are genuinely so excited to feature you on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. I'm so excited and it's great to be back with the Brown community, um, even though I'm very far away in Paris. And so thank you for having me. So to start off our podcast, I really think our listeners would love to hear about the origins of Intimately Co. and then how this company came into fruition. You know, when I was at Brown, I studied visual arts and French. I had never taken a business course in you know, my first two years. I never, ever thought that I would do anything in business. I didn't know what a business model or anything was, but I had always been interested in fashion and that's why I studied art. And so um, I was interested in any type of fashion, really, from sewing and designing. And But, um, you know, I had remembered this experience. It was really... Uh, important to me when my mom became disabled for the first time 10 years ago. And it was very difficult for her to get on clothing, um, you know, bending over, buttoning, zipper things. And there wasn't really a word for fashion for folks with disabilities, the same way there is a word for fashion for plus size people is, you know, the plus size fashion or the maternity market for um, mothers to be. And so I knew that my fashionista mom wanted should have alternatives but I and I was obsessed with fashion but it didn't really hit me that I could do that for a job until the very first time I heard the word adaptive apparel when I was at Brown um, from other women who had disabilities and um, you know I was looking for fashion internships that summer and another woman who had the same disability as my mom asked me to do um, B-Lab with her, which was is Brown's um, yeah, summer program. And we were both interested in adaptive apparel, didn't know what we were gonna do with it. I went through B-Lab, it was the first time I heard about a business model, anything like that. And my mind just was like fire cannons, like boom, 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 all these great ideas. I ended up separating with her. She didn't wanna work on adaptive apparel full time afterwards and I did, had all my ideas. And that fall I came up with intimately and the idea for online retailers because it had been 10 years since my mom originally became sick and since then a few small mom and pop brands had come onto the scene they had no seo no um fashionable models just you know really ugly and so i wanted to do a big photo shoot make it on a one-stop shop so my mom didn't have to go to like the 80th page of google i put it all on one website and i was doing that doing photo shoots and everything while also taking engine 1010 Danny Warshay's class and everything I learned in that class every case study I would you know write up do and then I would go home 
and apply it to Intimately. And so that's really how Intimately started. So it sounds like Brown really had a positive impact on this idea for Intimately and your overall experience in the entrepreneurial world. Absolutely. I would not be an entrepreneur if it wasn't for especially Professor Warshay's class in, you know, I really wouldn't because there's one thing to have an idea. Everybody has an idea and everybody has a passion, you know, but taking that to the next step and developing a business model, making it scalable, actually selling things. And, you know, we don't want to just be a small business. We want to be a, you know, a big player in the scene and all of those things with the entrepreneurship mindset, I, I wouldn't have been able to do without Brown. I would, I don't know where I would be. I don't know where I would be. <laughs> <laughs> and so you touched upon this idea of adaptive apparel. Could you describe what that means to you and then how you were introduced to it in the Brown community? Yes. So adaptive apparel is defined by, it's like clothes specially made for folks with disabilities. And that can be, you know, and that's what I was looking for for my mom. I didn't know how to, we didn't know how to put it into words. We called it disability friendly clothing. And, you know, at the time there was really ugly options for like a Velcro bra that you, it's like a medical hospital, something that's easy to get on, you know, not the hook and eye, the traditional hook and eye in the back, um, but, you know, really ugly. And so now adaptive apparel is a category. It's any type of clothing that's made specifically for disabled bodies. And so that could be an adjustment on, you know, on a bra. It could also be a dress that, you know, is easy to get on for people. Um, it could be a buttoned up shirt that has magnets instead of, you know, threading the button through all of those other things. And, you know, disability is a wide spectrum. And so unlike, you know, maternity wear, where there's a few key factors in maternity wear, which is like, you know, stretching around the belly and having those dimensions. Adaptive apparel is a much more diverse umbrella term for clothing for folks with disabilities. So then going off of this definition, could you describe your target market? You know, are you targeting specific disabilities or everyone who needs adaptive apparel? Yes. So we kind of, our beachhead market is women who are paralyzed from the waist down, women who have um, limited hand dexterity or upper limb differences, or um, uh, just need a personal care assistant to get dressed. So we think of, you know, when we're tackling different markets, we think of the dressing difference rather than the diagnosis. Because I could say, you know, um, at people with MS, you know, is our first thing or, you know, um, spinal cord injury folks, but in reality, everybody's disability is a little different and presents itself differently. So rather than thinking of our markets in terms of different diagnosis, we think of them in terms of different levels of mobility. And, you know, so that's our beachhead market. And that's about um, 80 million women worldwide or in our markets that we're targeting, which is Europe, um, the U North America and Australia with our, you know, with dispensable income that they can spend on uh, undergarments. And so that's our target market. And then moving out from there, it's women and those women need adaptive products. They like, they either somebody else dresses them. They, it's a major, 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 major struggle to get clothing on. They, um, you know, 
have to do DIY hacks and cut everything up. And that's our major focus. And then moving on from there, it's women like my mom who, you know, can sort of get by without adaptive apparel, but adaptive apparel just makes their life a million times easier. And that's typically, uh, you know, chronic illness folks, folks with chronic illnesses, um, lower limb differences and all other things. And then finally, or actually the next tier is, um, you know, women with scars and ports and, you know, burn survivors and other things like that who don't see themselves in the media, but will see themselves in our images. And then finally, you know, our last, um, our last group is all women because we're changing the way that people get dressed. So, you know, I don't design any bras that I wouldn't wear myself, even though I don't have any dexterity or mobility issues. Like we are just creating beautiful clothing that's easier to get on. So everyone should be able to wear it. That's amazing. And it sounds like your company is really spearheaded by ideas of inclusivity and empowerment, as well as the body positive movement. And so a huge part of this movement is ensuring everybody feels represented, beautiful, and then celebrated. So has this movement then impacted and influenced how you design your bras and apparel? You know, the primary goal is just like getting women dressed and like getting these people dressed. And that's more the, you know, the functionality of the product. So when I'm just when our designer is designing, she's like looking at all the technical things, but our brand and the way we speak and, you know, we're launching an app soon so that women can talk about sex and fashion and beauty and all these other really important topics that are so taboo, um, you know, in a safe space with other disabled women. And that is where, you know, this body positivity and inclusive, uh, inclusivity really shines through in our brand is, you know, through our Instagram, our newsletter, and through our community chats. The ideas you just touched upon really segue us into the next question surrounding mission-driven ventures and then their impact. So what is your perspective on this term, you know, mission-driven venture? And then more importantly, um, how do you see social impact through the lens of your company? Yeah, I mean, I think mission-driven startups are the only way to go, unless you're like a deep tech or a medical med tech thing, you know, if you're starting a brand, especially in the consumer space, I mean, almost everything has been, so much has been invented and anything else you're going to produce, you know, is going to be detrimental. You know, we don't need more things. Like I'm very conscious that when intimately, you know, is creating our products, like eventually they will probably end up in the landfill and I'm trying to make it the most ethical supply chain I can, but Anything that you're going to create is going to um, just add trash to the trash bins eventually. And so, and you might as well serve some purpose. If you're going to already be, you know, detrimenting the earth, you might as well serve some purpose. And also from like a marketing standpoint, you know, people are, uh, people want to see themselves in a brand. They want that community. They want to be uh, recognized, you know, and feel special and have a special connection. I mean, all these massive stores, you know, Nordstrom's are shutting down across the country because that's not the shopping experience people are looking for. They're looking for personalized ways. And so mission-driven, you know, so I I think that the two part is that you know, mission-driven in the sense that you're serving a unique 
need from a group of people. And in that way, you know, it kind of makes your product or your market a little bit more niche. You understand there's a connection between the brand. And so I think not only from like a waste perspective and why would you do entrepreneurship in the first place? There's so much going on in the world, um, unless you can do good, in my opinion. Um, but also it benefits, you know, the customer, like they want to see that deep connection. They want to have a one-on-one and the more mission driven and the, you know, the more narrow your field is going to be, you know, mission driven companies are often specific. They're helping people in this location, people going through X, Y, and Z, um, you know, women or, you know, all those other things. And so narrowing down your consumer, at least at first, is a great way to get started and for people to understand and relate to your brand. So speaking of relating to your brand and building a community, you mentioned that you have an app and an Instagram. So how are you trying to further this sense of community for Intimately and reach a larger audience as well? Yes. So we're launching our app. That's actually what I have a meeting for after this. I'm very excited. Um, And it's, you know, not in the, it's not done yet, but you know, we're building this community app to harness the community that, that we see on our socials and the things that people tell us. All the time I get messages and DMs saying like, I've never seen women the way that you see them on your Instagram that look like me, that are presented as sexy. And, you know, or finally for the first time, you know, I see a woman with a mobility aid and you guys have such great content, all this stuff. And we want to harness that into a community app where women can talk about all these tough subjects and or not tough subjects, but you know, nobody is talking, Cosmopolitan isn't writing articles about the best sex positions for wheelchair users, you know? So they can't relate to other media outputs, but they'll be able to on our app. And then, you know, harnessing that will be great for customer retention and customer acquisition as well, and some new channels for that. And uh, then also, huge part of our products is making sure that they actually are useful. And so in the way that Glossier, you know, had their community that they started with and, you know, Emily Weiss would, you know, ask her blog followers, everything um, about exactly what they wanted. So when products came to market, they sold out. And that's exactly what we want to do too with this community is ask, hey, what colors do you want? Or do you like this feature? Or how many of you, you know, want this adaptive feature X, Y, and Z? And so that's another plus to our community is they're helping us design the products right along with us so we can create actually great products. And it's wonderful that you're including the consumer into this design process to really ensure that they they feel heard and valued. It makes your company and community to, you know, play off the the company's name intimately an extremely intimate and close-knit group of empowered individuals and so this ties into the mission of our partners at the social good collective and their ideas circulating community involvement so you're trying to make people's lives more enriching and fulfilling through the power of positive communication and that truly begins with activating you know a loyal group of community members yeah and it's you know the the best thing about, you know, the social good collective is that, you know, I'm on one side of this for intimately orchestrating the community, but I'm alone in Paris. I don't know too many other entrepreneurs. Um, I mean, I, I do a little bit, but um, especially not mission-driven entrepreneurs. I'm in a program and it's a lot of like deep tech or like 
random B2B SaaS stuff. And um, it's hard, it's, it's hard to operate every day and get up and do this by myself. And so knowing that there is a group of people that are just as passionate and just as entrepreneurial as I am all together in one group, constantly supporting each other is priceless, you know, really. And it's, it's definitely great for my mental health and which people don't talk a lot about in terms of, you know, I'm trying to do a lot of good in terms of mental health for women with disabilities and making change. But I also, I won't be able to do that if I can't take care of myself. And it sounds like your app is trying to do the same thing to create this community for women to not only help you make these empowering products, but to also ensure that everyone feels included and has a solid support group. Exactly. Absolutely. You've already begun to amass this wonderful community who's supportive. And this next question relates then into growth. Where do you see intimately in five years and even in the larger fashion industry itself? Yes. So that is a great question. We want to move out of intimate. So first of all, we're launching our first line in um, February and it's a line that's been in development since I was at Brown. So it's so long. And um, so we're moving out of just being an exclusive e-tailer and into a direct consumer. So excited. It's a six beast line. So we're going to continue to spotlight these small brands and have them on our website and, you know, do drop shipping but also have our direct consumer brand. Um, then we'll move out of intimates and into regular apparel in the next 18 months. And then, you know, our goal is to help big brands enter the space. Uh, you know, Zappos has reached out to us. Other folks, um, you know, are really interested in our uh, lines and everything. Um, and they want to move into the adaptive space themselves, but don't know exactly how. So working and, uh, you know, licensing out our patents that we're working on or specific fastening patents for our clothing is going to be the, the big step and, you know, ultimately making the most systemic changes, helping big fashion brands enter the space. Because as much as I love and think our direct-to-consumer brand will be amazing, um, that's one brand in a sea of many brands. And in 20 years down the line, if I have a daughter who has a disability, I want her to be able to look at every big brand from anthropology to Topshop to J. Crew, whatever she wants to Madewell, and she sees an adaptive line for herself. The same way that you know that's starting to happen with plus size and maternity. And so uh, we have to kind of handhold these big brands to move into them. We're the ones with the community, we're the ones with the patents, and we're the ones with the expertise. So that's our big goal down the line. I literally just got chills. I mean, you mentioned anthropology and how they just recently moved into the plus size space. And so now then the next push would be for more disability representation. And so it sounds like your brand could potentially move into this consulting role to advise brands on how to effectively integrate your clasps and products into their designs to ensure more inclusivity and body positivity. Yes, you know, not only consult exactly, not only consultation, but also, you know, working with them really closely. Um, so and co-creating lines, and you know that we've seen plus size brands do that before. We've seen maternity brands do that before, 
And then, you know, the ultimate goal is to sell it on intimately, you know, so eventually it's not just consulting. It's going to be the small brands that we aggregate and drop ship. It's going to be our direct to consumer line and our patented products. And then, you know, working with these big brands to co-create these collections that will also be sold on their sites and intimately so that when you go on intimately, it's the one-stop shop for disabled customers. You can find any clothing that you want. It's an easy, seamless experience. You know, similarly how you go onto Amazon and you can find literally anything you want. Um, all of it's going to be in one place. And, you know, so that's going to be an easy experience and uh, thinking about the end consumer and everything from less clicks, which takes a lot of dexterity when you're shopping online to, you know, ease of shipping and getting everything to your door in one stop, customer service, everything. And so we're very excited to be that one-stop shop marketplace down the line. This is incredible. You know, you're enabling women with disabilities to have one space where they can go and buy clothes for any event. Intimately is more than just a website, but it's a positive community that is truly empowering. Exactly. Right on. Got the hammer right on the nail or however you say it. And so then this kind of, again, leads into the fashion industry in 20 years. So you do you hope to see not only more representation in specific clothing, but how do you think that the fashion industry then will represent these women in magazines and um, through advertising as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, that's, you know, we need, we not only need more clothing for women with disabilities, but we need more representation of disability in the media in general. We need disabled folks on runways. We need disabled folks in magazines, in the cover of magazines, um, you know, but it is a little bit, and that's starting to happen, which is great, but, um, you know, we don't want it to be performative. And we see over and over again, other brands that don't offer anything adaptive put women with disabilities in their clothing and then down a runway. And for example, if you put somebody who is paralyzed from the waist down in a pair of pants that, you know, is maybe a typical pair of jeans, A, how do you easily get that on as a paralyzed person? You know, you have to, you don't have control over your legs. So you have to kind of shimmy up. Like that's just a nightmare. And then also jeans aren't designed for the seated wearer. You know, you have to move the pockets, the um, back should be 10 centimeters higher than the front, all these other things. And so it's crucial to see these women in the media going down runways on the cover of magazines, but we got to stop putting disabled women in our advertising campaigns just to be seen as inclusive. Like it's, that's not enough. You got to create clothing that they can easily get on and a community that they can relate to. And so that's where I hope intimately, you know, can really step up the game. It sounds like the next steps then are not just representation, but then actively making sure that these women feel included. You know, Emma, thank you so much for speaking on the podcast today. It has been truly inspiring learning how you and intimately are redefining what it means to be inclusive within the fashion industry. Well, I couldn't do it without my amazing team, which is both non-disabled women and disabled women. And, you know, I'm so grateful for them and they do 
a lot of the work, you know, getting this to become a reality. So I'm so thankful and for my amazing team. And also thank you so much for taking the time to ask me such great questions. Thank you.